Hi there. This is Sam Musgrave, pastor over college and young adult ministry at Trinity Community Church. This podcast is a collection of the sermons from our gatherings. My prayer is that you will grow in knowledge and love for King Jesus, or maybe come to faith in him for the very first time. Join me now for this sermon. Well, good evening, guys. Thank you for coming. Um, Sam is currently on his way to Edinburgh, Scotland, and for some reason has doubled down on his mistake of having me teach again. Um, I'm kidding. We all know who the real preacher in the family is. Also kidding. Uh, it's an honor to be back up here this week as we close out our time in 1 Corinthians 16, and therefore, 1 Corinthians. If you remember, last week we covered chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, which had to do with a very strong and clear exhortation to all the saints to give. To give something. To give anything. They could... In the realm of finances, as Paul was accumulating a gift for the church in Jerusalem, which was a church in the bowels of poverty, unable to even provide for themselves in ways that would be unimaginable for us. The greater picture there, as it applies to us, is that the giving of our finances to the church is is first a command and a clear one at that. Second, we must be so very thoughtful in our giving, and we must be thoughtful because, and this brings us to our third point, giving is a form of foundational worship. This brings us to our text for this evening. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16, where we will be reading verses 5 through 24. And as you find it, I'm going to ask once more, hopefully you're getting used to it, that you would stand as we read the Word of God. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now, just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, take care that he is with you without fear. For he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brothers. Now concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brothers, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I exhort you, brothers, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, 
and that they have devoted themselves for the service to the saints, that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, recognize such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Achilla and Priscilla. Greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand. Paul, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us treat it as such. You can sit down. Before we get too far, please bow with me as we give this time to the Lord. Oh, Father, we come as imperfect, sinful men and women, acknowledging the perfect, sinless God who has and will ever be faithful. We confess our sin to you, knowing that the sin we committed even today, even moments ago, even right now in our hearts, carried the penalty of eternal separation from your loving kindness and goodness. And yet, you made a way for us. You loved us so that you sent sent your perfect son to live a perfect life so that through his death and resurrection, salvation would be possible. And through the Father's drawing, we would repent and believe and be cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for doing it all. Thank you that Jesus paid it all. And thank you that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Your adopted sons and daughters. We ask that you would change us tonight. We beg you to change us Tonight, we beg you to sanctify us, that you would cause us to love you more, cause us to obey you more, and cause us to trust you more. Tonight, we lay at your feet knowing full and well that you will do these things because you promised to do them. We love you, Lord, only because you loved us first. And pray all of these things according to your sovereign grace. Amen. Most of you do not know my dad. He's a rough man. And I say that in the best of ways. He's the hardest worker that I know. Truly encompassing the rain or shine mentality. Which might need to be modified to hot or slightly less hot for our area. His hands sound like two quality loaves of sourdough when rubbed together. They're covered in old scars and new cuts. His skin has seen several people's fair share of the sun. And the pairs of boots I watched pass through our home might just be over the number of grains of sand that currently reside on this world. In short... My dad knows how to work, and he knows how to work thoroughly, which is actually the title of tonight's message, Work 
and work thoroughly. Tonight, the type of work we're looking at is specifically working for the Lord in the specific way of evangelism and edification and doing these things in the Lord's way. The greater American church uh, want to find ways to twist verses like Colossians 3.17, which says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. They want to use these verses to try to build more and more subjectivity into Scripture. They reject the regulative principle of worship. They reject that God is actually quite dogmatic in his word. And they reject, object, they reject objective truth. They want to define God according to their own agenda. And this finds its way into the church. And therefore, all aspects of the church, including evangelism and exhortation. We have two simple points tonight. The first is, if you are a Christian, then there is work for you to do. Verses 5 through 12 paint an outline of a few men who are working tirelessly tirelessly, for the kingdom of God. Let's read verse 7 once more. For I do not wish to see you now, just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. And Paul knows how to talk. He knows how to stick to scripture. It's funny how things can become popular. How we speak, what we ask, uh, certain ideas, certain philosophies, what we wear, and so on. A few years back, it got really popular to say, uh, I, I just want to be present where I'm at. Or, or some variant of that. I just want to live in the moment. YOLO, etc. Now, I'm not disparaging the idea of living life in a way that draws your attention to what's right in front of you in a healthy sense. Should you be present-minded while driving? Absolutely. Should you be present-minded while speaking to others? Of course. While working diligently? Mm-hmm. And the list goes on. This idea was typically uncovered when people would ask someone how they're doing in passing and would receive an answer appropriate for an in-passing question. I'm fine. Good. I'm here. I'm alive. And then sometimes followed up by, hey, how are you really doing? And sometimes those conversations dive deeper. And there are things uncovered that are going on in a person's life that wouldn't have been if more time hadn't been spent. If more dirt hadn't been excavated. However, many times the first response is repeated. And the two people go their separate ways. Paul is saying, listen. I'm going to come and I'm going to spend some real time with you guys because I am burdened to share the truth of God to unbelievers and exhort and encourage those who are 
in the church. This isn't going to be done uh, properly by me acting like a celebrity and coming down for a one-night show. I want to spend months with you guys. I want to build new relationships. I want to strengthen existing relationships. I want to teach. I want to encourage. I want to exhort. I want to correct. And he wants these things because of an incredible love for them given to him by God. Now, guys, don't forget the rest of the book up until this point, which is all of it. There are some serious issues going on in the church at Corinth. Paul has identified these issues and is traveling great distances to get them help. Even more, he has called for Timothy, called for Apollos, both of them to come and aid him in serving the Corinthians. I wonder, is that our heart? Some of you are essentially an academic year out of high school. Most of you are only a couple years detached from it. And all of us have the rest of our lives ahead of us. How many here are in ministry at all? How many here know the truth and keep it to themselves out of fear or embarrassment? How many here want to take the gospel to the dark reaches of the world? How many are willing to give their lives to the Lord, even if that means being poor or being single or, or, or foregoing certain amenities or even rights? All of us, to some extent, have built in the American dream into our theology, and my friend, we must repent of it. That seems kind of harsh, Jake, which is my name, if you didn't know that. Surely God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be wealthy. I'm glad you said that. Let's look at Philippians 2.30 in regards to Epaphroditus. I had this down. I even YouTubed it. Epaphroditus. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ and even risked his life. 63 reformers were killed under Henry VIII that we have a clear record of. I'm sure that number is actually probably quite a bit larger. Many of them burned at the stake, oftentimes tortured for weeks or months beforehand, wheeled to the pyre in a dung cart where they burned for their faith. Some were drawn and quartered If you don't know what that is, let me read you an excerpt. First, he was drawn, that is, tied to a horse 
and drugged to the gallows. Then he was hung, usually not to death. Then usually disemboweled alive. Their entrails burned, they were beheaded, and then quartered. Quartered is accomplished by tying each of the four limbs to a different horse and spurring them in different directions. And I'm sure you can get the picture. Gruesome is an understatement. Many of these men walked to their deaths, singing hymns, calling for the repentance of those who were quite literally killing them. This leads us to our second point. Our work must be thorough. Verses 13 to 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Paul is saying, uh, listen up, there's absolutely no room for lethargy. There is no room to waver. We must be persistent. We must work hard. Practicing wisdom, standing firm on the foundation of the word of God. And because of that, we can be strong. Oh, men, act like it. Act like men. Clear calls to act in certain ways that scripture specifically defines allows no room for subjectivity. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. We don't define what a man is or how he acts. God's word does that very clearly. Ladies, remember, this is being written to the elders, to the leaders of the Corinthian church. It's not that he's leaving you out. He's just very well aware of who he is speaking directly to. All of these principles apply to you. Read Proverbs 31. It'll blow your mind. Let's finish the chapter. Now, I exhort you, brothers. You know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for service to the saints that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. And I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaius because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore recognize such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Achilla and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brothers greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand. Paul's saying, hey, I'm writing this. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you. All in Christ Jesus. Amen. Oof. To quote Vodi Bauckham, if you can't say amen, say ouch. 
The church in Corinth was in dire need of some serious rebuke and received very little affirmation. And we might be inclined to see this as rough or or abrasive, which at times, hey, certainly was. But I agree with John MacArthur when he calls it a love letter from Paul to the Corinthians. To quote him, that is John, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, he says, I will gladly spend and be expended for you, even though I love you the more and you love me the less. John says, I'll not only spend, that is, give everything I have, I'll be expended. That is, give myself for you. That's how much I love you. So it's a love letter. It also ties into the idea of working thoroughly for the Lord. We see in this scripture that there are people not working thoroughly. And because of that, other men must step in and pick up the slack. Paul says, thank God for Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaius, because they are carrying your team. They've taken a load off of you, obviously, and off of me. And I'm so grateful for them in doing that. But here's the amazing thing. Paul hasn't uh, called in ringers to close a deal for the sake of some random reason. These men are here for a very simple reason. Love. God first loved Paul, and so Paul loved God. And because he loved God, he also loved the Corinthian church. So much that he not only put himself under the burden of its health, but three other men with him. The work that was accomplished was done so out of incredible love given to these men from the Lord for himself and therefore for his church. And he says near the end, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. He saying, listen up. If any person in the church isn't loving others, then they won't work hard. They won't work thoroughly. And why do they not love each other? Well, that's easy because they don't love God. And if they don't love God, then that is because he's not first loved them in the way that is drawing them to himself. Causing them to repent and causing them to believe and therefore saving and sealing them for eternity. Paul ends with this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Folks, this is what true love looks like. It does not shy away from a hard word. It does not soften truth to the point where it is no longer truth. It doesn't swerve a situation because it might be hard or awkward. It faces things face first and head on because that is how God has defined it. 
I have a couple of practical applications for you guys as we go out from here. The first is if you do not have a job here in the church, get one. Every single person in this room should be serving somehow. Whether that is children's ministry, the nursery, helping cook, helping clean, and so on. You guys notice that there are people that sit behind that table week in and week out who greet you, help you with your name tags. There are people who set up coffee and that table and food. Service. Now, if you're back for the summer, this applies just as much to you. Get involved and do it without reserve. The Lord is glorified in a cheerful giver. This includes your time and your talents. The second practical application is wherever you get involved, do it to the best of your abilities. Put your all into things. Be committed, work hard, sweat, toil, and agonize. At times, as Paul did, your comfort should not be a priority for you. A quick thought as we close, it seems, again, the greater American church has kind of fostered this idea that if you're young and inexperienced um, and new to the faith, then this automatically means you get a free ticket into youth ministries. The idea that we need people who are new believers, haven't been discipled, and aren't well-read in Scripture, discipling the young minds of the church has really no logical flow. So my encouragement to you is this. Seek counsel from elders, pastors, and leaders in the church on where and how you should serve, and they will tell you. And that isn't to discourage. If you guys are like, man, I'd really like to work with kids, or I'd really like to do this and do that, we have spots, and we can get you in places. Just saying you're probably not going to be behind a pulpit anytime soon. And that's for your own good. Do you guys know how long the disciples followed Christ? Anybody? Drew, are you sign-languaging to me? Three years. Does anyone remember any time that a disciple taught? There we go. There is service aplenty. Guys, there are so many different areas that we can be plugging young people in. We have several already coming up. Whether that's the Johnny and Friends, um, what's the event called? Big Respite? The Retreat. Um, and then a few other things. And guys, we have, we have a ton going on at Trinity where we are constantly in need of people to give their hearts, give their skills, give Hey, just be a body there. You don't have to know what you're doing. You don't have to, I don't know, be a mechanical engineer or, or be a guy that likes shapes and colors. You might actually need to at least be that. But that's okay. I think we all fit that mold. God is glorified 
in our work. God is glorified when we work hard. God calls us to work hard and to work thoroughly. So tonight, let this be an encouragement to you. I don't mean to come down hard. I don't mean to sound abrasive. But guys, the Christian life is not one of uh, sitting still. And the Lord makes sure of that. He makes sure of that by promising to sanctify us. And when he saves us, it's already going on. And you can be sure of that. Man, I am so thankful that God has promised to do so. And that he will bring that to completion in glory. Thank you for joining me for this sermon from the Trinity College and Young Adult Ministry. We would love for you to join us in person soon. For up-to-date information, follow our Instagram at trinityc.ya. For information regarding Trinity Community Church, visit trinitycc.com. Until he returns, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you.